Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. This is the uh, third in an installment on preaching today. And joining me is the same host who were here last time from the previous two. We hope you'll go back and I'm not going to introduce everybody because hopefully at this point, you know, everybody's name that's in the panel here for the discussion. And we want to talk about delivery today and delivery in the pulpit and the importance of that and how we do that. Now, uh, there are a few topics here that I want to get into. First one, I want to say is, and, and some of these may feel a little bit on the shallow side to talk about, but I think it's important. Let's talk about the role of inflection when we preach. And by inflection, let me be clear on what I mean. The rise and fall of your voice as you preach, right? So as you talk loudly and quietly to a whisper, maybe perhaps give a pause in the preaching. Uh, how critical and important is inflection in preaching? I think it's probably more important than we realize. We sometimes don't notice how we come across just because of our own personality or communication style. And I know for me, that was one thing that really sort of took me back the first few times I listened to a recording of myself preach. There were several things, I guess, that I took note of that needed improvement, but that was definitely one of them was that I noticed, even though I was in my mind, I was using inflection and, you know, volume change and things like that. It sounded very monotone. And so since then, I've had to sort of train myself to go maybe beyond what I think is reasonable so that I, in my mind, I sometimes feel like I sound like a cartoon character, you know, like just going really <laughs> over the top with it. But when I listen to it, it actually sounds, I think, probably more normal. You don't want to sound like the substitute teacher from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Bueller. <laughs> yes. Bueller. Uh, when I was in preaching class, we actually had to do an exercise. And if you're listening to this and you've never done this before, I would encourage you to do this. Take a recording of yourself and take a pen and paper. And just as you're talking, just make a little line when it's flat at where your normal volume is. Go up when you go up and down when you go down, Right. We had to do this. We had to listen to several preachers in my preaching class, and we had to trace their inflection during a sermon. So I would encourage you to trace your inflection and check your inflection, because as Chris said, sometimes you think you're being loud or you're being quiet, but you actually may be sounding more like the substitute teacher on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And let's be honest, the text of God's Word and uh, the narrative of Scripture is exciting and it is emotional, and our preaching should reflect that in our voice, right? Yeah, I definitely inflection is a way to um, not only show our connection uh, emotionally, mentally with what's going on in the text, it's a way to help pull in, I think, the congregation that's listening with us. But, you know, just a little bit of humor here. One thing that I have, have found in my preaching is that uh, sometimes that purpose there for inflection can backfire when you talk so low that... Um, certain ones in the congregation have no idea what you're saying. And so they begin 
having to ask the people beside them what you're saying, but then they can't hear the people beside them tell them what you're saying. And so it just continues to get louder and louder until they're talking worse, louder than you are in worse. your inflection. So <laughs> true also, story. <laughs> with with inflection, I think it's sometimes you might be sitting there and you might be screaming and not even realizing you're screaming. Because some people that think that they just have to get louder because because they're speaking, they're they're preaching, not realizing that the the guy in the booth can control how loud you are on the mic. Um, So you don't have to yell. Yeah, Um, I think there's definitely a balance. You know, probably like most things, the style of communication for preachers has changed in the last, you know, few decades. Which is a good thing. I don't know that it has changed as quickly in Appalachia, though, as what it has in that, other places. Yeah, that may be. But but I think the point I'm trying to get at is that people probably prefer a more conversational type approach as opposed to just being yelled at. Now, obviously, they're like Matthew was saying in a previous discussion, there were some who think, you know, you hadn't been to church if you hadn't been yelled at. But if I you think, still pre- speak when you get done preaching, you ain't preach, son. Yeah, but I think generally speaking, uh, a conversational style is more welcome than it used to be. So you want to balance, you know, your tone and inflection with that that understanding as well. Yeah, and even when it comes to sidetrack here for a moment, Travis, when it when it comes to to looking at our our vocal cords, they are vital as preachers. They they really are. And understanding how your vocal cords work helps you have a longevity in ministry. All right, let's give a quick tip on how you can have good vocal cords in the pulpit. I didn't learn this till recently. Uh, maybe I learned it and forgot it, but water when you're preaching. Room should temp. it be cold water or should it be room temperature? Room temp. Cold Why? water constrains your vocal cords. That's right. You can't get as much inflection. You don't have as much. Singers do this, right? Singers won't drink cold water. They'll drink room temperature water. Uh, you, you try to give them cold water and they'll have a heart attack. But, but also, I mean, think about this. I'll give you a prime example. Go ahead. Uh, have you read Lectures to My Students by Spurgeon? Yes. Mm-hmm. He's got a whole chapter on how to take care of your voice for open air preaching. <laughs> so we might not do as much of that anymore, but it's, I mean, he knew the importance of it. It's so important. I'll ask you this. How many of y'all haven't had your voice when you try to preach one Sunday because of something you've done earlier in the week? Yeah. I've gotten sick before and lost it. And th- this, this is where I I have to, it's good for me not to preach the Sunday after I go to an Alabama sporting event. Because if I go to a big Alabama football game, there had been times when I was still in college, the next morning I was like, I thank the good Lord above that there is a mic on me. Because if I didn't have a mic, there's no way I could. But the reason is, is my voice isn't used to yelling. And so when you strain your voice, there goes your tool. Mm. You got to take care of it. If you if you strain your voice, like you, you listen to an old coach, an old football coach, an old old baseball coach. When they've been coaching for 40 years and they're yelling and yelling and screaming and screaming at players every day for 40 years, what does their voice sound like at retirement? Oh, guys, guess we're going to get down and, you know, their voice is so raspy. Do we, do we want to have a raspy voice at 40, 40 years in the ministry? Or do we want to have a voice that can articulate the gospel? You, you don't want to sound like Coach O? No, I don't. I don't want to sound like <laughs> 
ever. If I was in Louisiana, maybe, but no. Um, so, so take, take care of your voice and use inflection. I love the way that several pastors that I listen to um, use inflection, even when it comes to reading the Bible. Because how many of us, when it comes to that time of reading the Bible, we're just reading it like we would anything else. And we're not really sitting there, you know, giving life by the way we read it to the text. And there's several pastors that I know of that I listen to that when it's something that should be exciting, you know, their, their inflection lifts an excitement to what they're reading. Instead of making it that monotone, just reading of God's word, we're going to let our voice give life to the text. And I, I think that's one area to use inflection as far as delivery is when you're reading the text. Going right with inflection is going to be uh, your facial expression and where you're looking during delivery. I'm just curious. What are you? <laughs> Nobody can see the faces right now in here, but I can. What are you looking at while you're preaching? I'm just curious. I look at people's faces. Like I look in them in the eyes. Um, and, and, and the reason is, and you have to be careful. Okay. I, I will throw this one out there. You have to be careful when you do this because sometimes there might be like someone who's gone through a tragic incident or, you know, divorce and you're preaching and you might give that as an example and you look them dead in the eyes when you say that, make sure you're, you're careful enough not to single out that congregant. If you're talking about an issue, sometimes I have that issue because I, I literally, most of the time I'm preaching, I'm looking at people's eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm staring them in the faces and I'm making direct contact with people because I think that's a way of engaging with people. I've always been told that my entire life, that if you're going to talk to somebody, you look them in the eyes, have that conversation. How much more important is that when we're preaching? So um, I, I found this on Facebook and I think it's a touch hilarious. I'll show you what it is. It's, it's called pastor's view while preaching. I don't know if you, I may send this out to you guys after we're done, but it's got all these different people. And then the thoughts that goes with them, and it says, like, it's got this one college student sitting in the front, and it says, emailed me, said my sermons were shallow. <laughs> you know, uh, the guy next to him is asleep, worked a double shift, but still came, you know, so he's here, gets points for that. Uh, next to him is a woman, first-time guest, hope she isn't freaked out. <laughs> next to her is uh, a struggling with addiction, but wants Jesus and is here, you know. And then you go in the back row there and uh, he sends me an encouraging email every month, helps me keep going in the ministry. And he's kind of applauding, you know, as you're going along. And then next to him is somebody else that's kind of like smiling and laughing. And um, next to him is someone who, you know, and the point is, you know, it goes on here. Another, I think it was not so encouraging person sitting next to them. Oh, here it is. Admitted to me that they're in an affair uh, then she just insulted someone this morning for not dressing up. You know what I mean? Like you overheard that, uh, you know, and the next to them is, uh, I see God working in and here and is excited. And, uh, that behind them is their husband, dad walked down on them. I hope this sermon helps them and on and on the list goes. And as you're looking out in the sermon, as you're delivering, you're seeing all these folks and these thoughts are coming into your mind because of this, I'm going to tell you what I do and you don't have to do this. You, you know, I don't look people in the face because it gets too distracting for me. I look at their foreheads. And when I look at their foreheads, it appears as if I'm looking them in the eyes. It's kind of a trick another mentor told me in the ministry, and it just helps me personally stay on task. And then I gauge reaction based on sound more than I do face. Hmm. I, I, I see benefit to that. 
but the, the downside it seems to me would be that there are there are times or at least there have been times when I have been able to assess kind of the emotional atmosphere of the room based on the look in people's eyes or something like that. And, and, and at times that has caused me to, to shift gears or, or change the way I say some things. And so just having that awareness that comes from that eye contact is helpful. You can see when you're losing them, you know, you you might, you might make a statement and you kind of see that glazed eyes like what in the world did he just say? So sometimes you might go back and rearticulate what what you just said. Um, or if you see somebody that's fast asleep, you know it's time to pound the pulpit, right? <laughs> Actually, if you want to wake somebody up, you don't yell and pound. You just you just go quiet for a minute. <laughs> if you go quiet, they'll come right out of their lull. You know, I've, I heard a story. There's a story in the accounts here at Grace that there was a pause in a sermon. The guy fell asleep, and I know him. And somebody knows him and said, Pastor called on you to pray. So he just, in the middle of the sermon, <laughs> stood up and started praying. <laughs> awesome. So anyway. <laughs> I got to remember this. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Uh, let's talk about movement in the pulpit. Uh, movement in the pulpit. Do you just stay in one area? When you preach, or do you have the freedom to move and roam? Uh, I've got some people in my contemporary service that just really want me to uh, get down on the floor and, uh, you know, preach from the floor. And I'm, you know, I have a little bit of discomfort doing that personally. And, uh, you know, so wh- where should you stand when you preach? Should you, should you be like, should it be like a tennis tournament where they're watching you move back and forth? I think your movement needs to have a purpose. And what I mean by that, if you're a tennis, if you're you're preaching like a tennis player and you're going back and forth, sometimes that can be distracting to somebody. You know, they're they're sitting there going like, you know, you see the people's heads go back and forth in movies when people are playing tennis and stuff. And it can almost become distracting. They're getting so caught up in watching you walk that they miss what you're saying. Um, So I, I think movement has to be intentional. And so predominantly, like for me, I would be behind the pulpit. But then if I go to an illustration or I'm trying to really unpack something, then I move to the side because I'm kind of transitioning with where I'm headed next. And so I'll transition movement to keep them engaged. If I walked back and forth, back and forth, people would lose their mind probably. Um, My wife, I know, would get like lost. Like, what were you doing? Because she tells me what I did wrong. So that would be one of those things. But I, I think your movement has to be intentional. Do I think you stand behind the pulpit the whole time and look like a lecture with my personality? That's impossible. And I think that that oftentimes can cause you to seem dry because you're not putting any life into it sometimes. So I think movement needs to be purposeful when it comes to the same way we talked about transitions in the previous podcast, your movement needs to have a purpose behind it. Well, and here's a dynamic that's sort of been brought into that more so since all this happened with COVID, you know, we are at a place right now, we've, we have got a new camera on order, but we're still live streaming all of our services. We're meeting in person on Sunday mornings, but still have a, uh, a good bit of our congregation that's not there. And so we're live streaming services. And now, so you've got a camera. And whereas I used to move in a lot uh, wider range in the front, uh, because we don't have an ability to really adjust that camera smoothly, you know, that, limits right now sort of our movement and so it's uh now a purpose in in not moving 
uh, or in being more steel, I think that's gone with that. So that um, still trying to to include those who are not in the room with us but are watching online. Do you have tape on the floor where your your angle lens falls out to where you know no, where? No, we we have not put tape on the floor. I just every Sunday morning I get to see what's on camera and kind of know what the boundaries are. Yeah. Matt, Matt, to your point about intentional movement, I mean, those are, those are two things I've struggled with because I'm a rocker by nature and we, our services for a while, we did three services and the middle service was a video sermon. And we actually, no joke, I had a person leave one week that I was preaching because they were getting dizzy watching me on the video just because yeah. I was rocking so much. And the other issue, and this is just like, like you were saying, Travis, where you listen to yourself to hear your inflection, watching on video can make you aware of little, little hitches you have. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had a habit. I would grab the back of my pants like Tommy boy, you know, the old man down by the river. <laughs> and I, I had no idea I was even doing that. And so, but I would, I would, you know, do that constantly. And, and so again, like being aware of those little things you do, is really helpful because people are seeing it, but you may not even know you're doing it. Uh, yeah. I was going to talk about verbal ticks, but since you already went there, watch your verbal ticks and watch your, I guess, positional ticks, your body yeah. ticks. Yeah. Uh, mine is, I say, he's just sitting there. You know, that's one of those things I constantly say. And I don't even realize it. My home patch was like, Matthew, you've got to get over this. I preached there the last Christmas. He was like, Matthew, you've got to move past saying just sitting here. You said it for five years now. You've got to stop. <laughs> you know? and, you may uh, or may not have said that multiple times in this series. I probably have. I mean, we go back and listen to it. I probably have. And I don't even know why I say it. It just happens. But like I Sunday, have. I preach Sunday morning for the church, and they put it up in the daycare. I mean, in the nursery area, and our youngest daughter was in there. And, you know, I don't – I normally don't put my, my hands in my pockets, but my, my two-year-old is obsessed with pockets. Like, she wants to wear clothes that has a pocket. She can just stuff stuff in there. And, you know, I stepped to the side of the pulpit and I had my hands in my pocket as I was, you know, reiterating something. And she said, daddy got pockets. And she just kept saying that over and over again. So after I was like, did I preach with my hands in my pockets the whole sermon? Um, and that, that stuff, I, I think with the video is so good and painful to go back and rewatch because you see you're doing stuff that you don't realize you're doing. And even putting one, your hands in your pockets that, can be distracting. One thing that's that I've noticed is is that the, I have at times been not making as much eye contact as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And I'll go back and watch the video and notice, well, your head is looking straight down an awful lot at your notes. You might want to work on that. So, so that's the sort of thing that can be really helpful about going back and reviewing that. Not only the the audio. Uh, issues but but just the movement as well yeah or even how often I like for me this was something when I was in youth our youth director at the time wore glasses and he needed his glasses for why he was reading but he didn't necessarily have to have his glasses the rest of the time so he would take his glasses on and off on and off on and off and as a 14 13 year old person in the youth group like we made a game out of counting how many times he took his glasses off because he did it. He, I mean, he would do it like three times within a minute, just back on and off. And he didn't even realize he was doing it. Um, so, like, seeing those little glitches you do can, be, can, can help because people can make games out of that while you preach. 
All right, let's move on to the next one quickly. Dress. How important is dress and how should we dress when we deliver? Mixed reviews. We should wear a suit and a tie. Listen, buddy, if he ain't in polyester, we're not listening to him. But then I'm breaking the Levitical law. Um, but That's over in second opinions, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Next I, to I, when I was younger, I was always told you want to dress a step better than the predominant amount of your congregation. Step it up, huh? Step it up. So, like, if, if your congregation is wearing just, you know, khakis button up in a jacket, make sure you're wearing a tie. Like, you want to look just a little bit better. And th- this was the reason why, like, years later I'm going – I just don't know about that was if you dressed a little bit better, it made them take you made them take you more serious as a pastor because that meant you meant business. If you were going to take the time and look in the park now, that's not necessarily why I, I think you dress to the, to your congregation. If your congregation is a contemporary style church, you better not show up in a suit and tie. Neil, do you wear a suit and tie when you preach? You're in a contemporary church. No, no, we're uh, we're kind of button down shirts and maybe even a polo and khakis. Yeah, yeah. and and if that's what the congregation wears, dress dress like your congregation. Yeah. I mean, if the whole congregation comes in a wrinkly shirts, if you're like me, you get stressed out with wrinkles. You know, maybe iron your t-shirt, but you know, you, you you need to dress like your congregation. You need to, if you're communicating the words, you don't want to make them uncomfortable, and so you dress to the comfort level of the congregation. Um, when I got here, we would have worn suits and I would have worn a suit every time I preached. Now the congregation is like, we don't care if you wear a suit. So like Sunday, you know, I, I, first time ever, I didn't wear a blazer while I preached to the congregation and no one had an issue with it, but it, it's, it's bringing that, that kind of that, bring it to the comf- comfort level. And, um, so yeah, dress to the right. church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and jump to the next topic because we need to end this on one last topic. And I want to leave about four or five minutes here to discuss this last one because I personally think this is critical in delivery. And that's the ending of the sermon and how you end the sermon. I know, crazy, right? I want to specifically talk about what I call mic drop endings. Mm. Okay. So let me give you some examples of mic drop endings. Um, I once heard of a preacher who preached a sermon where he exposited the gospel clearly. And when he got done, here's what he said. He said, God is no beggar and neither am I. And he just went and sat down on the pew. That was it. Dropped the mic over. You know what I mean? Uh, Another example of this is uh, Dr. Russell Moore did this with... uh, and in response to several pastors who had defected in the faith, I think it was back whenever uh, the guy that wrote, I kissed dating goodbye when he defected from the faith, what was his name? Joshua Harris. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so there was a song from the nineties. And so some of you on this panel may be too young to remember this song, mainly looking at you there, Matthew, but <laughs> I don't know if you know this one or not, but it's called losing my religion by REM. Do you know that song? No, he says, no, he doesn't know it. Uh, and of course, uh, Russ Moore opened up with the lines in the song, uh, oh no, I've said too much. Oh no, I haven't said enough. And so uh, in, in Losing My Religion, the, um, the close was, oh no, I've said too much. And then I haven't said enough. And then he just walks off stage. 
Another one would be, you know, someone was preaching on when the demon came into contact with the disciples and, you know, he says the guy, basically the demon beats the guys up and the statements made, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, who are you? Right. So they read that text and guess what the closer is, right? Jesus, I know, Paul, I know. And then they just go sit down, (laughs) you know, who are you? And so let's talk about the importance of closing and, and can you pull these off? How often should you pull these off and are they helpful? Or is it, is it showboating in the pulpit when you do that? Al Mohler would argue it's showboating and you should never do it. What do you guys think? I think it depends on the context and what, what you're trying to draw in. I think once every now and then I would have no issue with the mic drop moment as a congregant. Um, if it's, if it's like a severity and like you're really wanting people to like weigh in heavily on the thought, if that makes sense. Like if I was sitting there and I was listening to a guy saying, Jesus, I know Paul, I know, but who are you? And then walk away. Like I would sit there and be like, who am I? You know, I, I would sit down and try to internalize what have I just heard? I wouldn't do it often. It's kind of like a good illustration. You might have this really phenomenal illustration you use. You can't use it often or it doesn't have it, it, it kind of loses that, that power of it. It's, it's one you have to bring out every so often. I, I think that's the same with the mic drop moment. It's not something you use regularly, but you, you use it intentionally in, in sermons. Yeah, I think it really just matters on what, what your aim is there and, and how, you, how you want the end of that message and the remainder of that service to go. So, really you got to think in terms of planning with your other leaders and, you know, are you going to be singing a song after that? Are you going to have an invitation? Are you not going to have like a, an altar call type invitation? So I think it really depends on all those things and, and kind of what your goal is in that moment and with that message. Um, and, and even beyond the service too, I mean, what sort of, what sort of atmosphere is it? Like if it's a conference where you don't know the people, that's different than, speaking to your church where you know people and you're going to be standing around in the foyer talking afterwards, you know? So, so I think you got to just be sensitive to those things. Yeah, I'd say it could be used effectively, but uh, there's a whole lot of variables to take into consideration with it. So, and one of those is definitely, I think your attitude in using it, but I'd say there's probably some that's been done well and some that have not been done well. I think anything you do has to fit, fit well, one that, as we've all said, the purpose of what you're trying to accomplish. And so in that way, there's probably going to be an occasion where that's, that's fitting. But, but the other pieces, I think, again, like, like you just said, Chris, it's got to fit, it's got to fit with who you are and, and the relationship you have with your church family. So, so yeah, th- there's a huge difference between the week in week out relationship you're developing with your congregation and and a, a one-off in, in a, a conference type experience. And so, so yeah, I, I think there'd be a lot to weigh into it. And in some ways it's always good to, to try new things or to use new methods to maybe help an application or a point stick with those who are hearing it. But, but I, yeah, I, I don't see how it could become something you're doing consistently and it would not become like, Oh, here we go again to those who are listening. Yeah, I think the challenge oftentimes when you're in the pulpit week in, week out is how can I keep this somewhat fresh? You know what I mean? Like, how do I keep this engaged and fresh in the mind of the congregation? And 
and uh, even for yourself at some level, you know what I mean? And, and still honor the Lord. You know, I, I went to the convention back in the fall of, yeah, this past fall. And I, it was amazing to me, the delivery styles that were different within the Tennessee Baptist convention. And I remember there was a particular style that I find very engaging. And it's the one that we've kind of outlined here. It was expositional. It was more conversational. It was more, you know, clarity and smooth transitions and all that. And then there was another style of preaching I saw that, um, you know, it was a three-piece suit. It was polyester. You know, it was uh, a lot of erratic movements of the body while delivering. Uh, you know, I would almost call it showboating style preaching. And I just did not find that personally engaging, you know what I mean, uh, for me sitting in the pew. But I looked around and there were some people that absolutely ate that delivery style up. And I just, I just honestly couldn't connect and I didn't understand it, you know what I mean? But anyhow, and uh, we didn't even get to talk about other types of preaching delivery. Uh, I didn't even get to talk about a Tennessee windsucker, you know, where you do, oh, the Lord said, and thank God they brought down the ark, you know, where you breathe in real heavy like that. And that's real preaching, brother. Have y'all ever been to a primitive Baptist church type uh, service? Holy cow. I mean, that is a very dominant type you see in there. And so there are very different delivery styles, but we have to ask this at the end of the day, despite all these different types and styles, which one brings about glory to God the most and which one transforms lives? I think that is a question we have to engage with. Brothers, any closing thoughts as we land this series on preaching together? All right, then. Thank you all for being with us. This has been uh, great, and I hope you'll join us next time uh, when we dive into a whole new series. We're not sure exactly what that'll be, but I know it'll be interesting. So, You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.